The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Vice Chair Waters, is there a motion on the minutes? Pardon me? Okay. Motion to approve, Madam Chair. <laughs> There's a motion to approve the minutes. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. We are now going to proceed with public comment. Do we have anyone here in the gallery? for public comment. Mr. Scott, if you can please share with our Zoom callers how to raise their hand for public comment. Good morning, everyone. Directions for public comment, the raise hand button on Windows is Alt plus Y. On a Mac is Option plus Y. On the telephone is star 9. To mute and unmute on phone, press star 6. And do we have any hands raised this morning? We currently have three hands raised. The first hand is Cunningham. Okay, we're going to give everyone two minutes. And if the clerk will please note that Member Callaway has joined us. The clerk will so note. Thank you. Good morning, Mr. Cunningham. You have two minutes. Good morning, Mr. Cunningham. We can come back to Mr. Cunningham. The next caller is Detroit Unity. Good morning, Detroit Unity. You have two minutes. Uh, good morning, Detroit, and everyone out there within earshot. Uh, and good morning to the my favorite committee on the Detroit City Council, Council 2022 Detroit City Council. Um, you still haven't used the subpoena power granted to you by the city charter yet. I'm wondering what's... Let's pause the clock. Uh, Mr. Scott, do we have two people unmuted? Cunningham came on late. So okay. Cunningham, wait for Detroit Unity and you can go behind Detroit Unity. Okay, Detroit Unity, you can proceed. Okay, we want to know exactly why the city council hasn't used the subpoena power granted to it by the Detroit City Charter since 2012 because that grants the city council the ability to find out anything they want to know about any city document, any city employee, or elected official. And the city council is the only uh, body in the city that has that power. So I want to 
bring forth a very interesting and troubling dynamic involving uh, the Detroit Police Department and Chief James E. White. There seems to be a selective amount of transparency that is uh, afforded to the citizens of Detroit, namely the officers that shot Porter Burks, and then anything regarding uh, anything that may be embarrassing to the department or to the chief himself. It's not um, transparent to the citizens of Detroit exactly what's going on within the department. And one issue in particular, Captain Johnson at the 11th Precinct and Officer Rozier, they both have one of the jokers is lying, just flat out. I mean, one said, uh, oh, Rozier said the captain told him to arrest me. The captain said I got bad information. I've been calling down to the chief's office and every de uh, department that I can and speaking to all the people at the police department. And nobody has seems to uh, want to clarify that issue, but the city council has the ability to find out which one of the jokers is lying. Now, <clears throat> as it comes now, Keisha Miller was killed. I witnessed the video myself of her recording the incident, and I say it's troubling, concerning to me that the police officer would rush in that house like that when the lady was talking coherently, seemed to be aware of what was going on and not in any signs of distress or mental crisis. What's up? Thank you so much for your call. So my team did reach out to the police department in regards to your situation, um, we will follow back up with them uh, to get some additional information and I'll make sure that my team reaches out to you to, to ensure we have the, the clear information from you as to what has transpired with you. Okay, Cunningham, you're on now. Good morning, Mr. Cunningham. You have two minutes. Thank you so much. Good morning, Mr. Scott. Good morning, council chair and those on the council. Uh, it was a good nightly meeting upon yesterday. Uh, random gentlemen hit me up on Facebook and said they wanted to come and speak about the bus service. I wasn't sure what he had to say. Hope he didn't say anything crazy, but I guess it went okay. Um, I do get a lot of inboxes and phone calls, 313-444-9114. 313-444-9114. Um, the uh, idea of, again, validating people's parking and giving out bus tickets for those that are poor that come to the city council meetings during the daytime or the nightly meeting will be a good thing. It doesn't cost that much to do that. Also, um, new freedom program will not be canceled. Uh, it was supposed to end at the end of the year. New Freedom allows people to get out of the city that are paratransit 20 miles past the city limits. Um, that, that goes in conjunction with Metrolift. Um, I hope that you guys continue to listen to the people about Metrolift. I am also a client of Metrolift. I'm disabled with back problems, et cetera. You guys have been surprising me because you have not been rubber stamping things. Um, but I continue just to be in prayer about the situation. I ask you, anyone listening, get some hand warmers, some, uh, provide hot chocolate or whatever. You see people waiting at the bus stop for more than an hour. You drive, you know, it's so convenient to drive. You guys shouldn't be selfish. And um, you should, you know, maybe be nice to those that have to suffer through the shortage. There's a bus driver shortage, and this winter's going to be a cold one. 
Uh, my name on Facebook is Forced Subservience Cunningham. Uh, it's anonymous to look at anything on that page and as well as calling 313-444-9114. Thank you so much. I'd like to cut off public comment now. The next caller is number ending in 534. Caller ending in 534. Good morning. You have two minutes. Yes, good morning. May I be heard? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, I would like to uh, address what Mr. Crowley said, and I'm glad you said that you will take a look into this because I've been observing a pattern of retaliation against people who speak out against this administration or things that they see that they find to be, you know, unbecoming of government, let's say. Um, and, and, and Bob Carmack comes to mind for sure. That absolutely needs to be looked into. And what's happening with Mr. Crowley and why the police came up to me at the elections department and falsely accused me of interfering with voters or loitering. I can't sit at a publicly building and read the election connection. I mean, I've been in that building before and people didn't have a problem with it, but all of a sudden there was a problem. So we really need to take a look into this because this pattern of retaliation, and they did it to Agnes Hitchcock too. That's really, really, really not cool. So, um, you know, please look into this because, as you know, it costs the city money like $50 million for Porter Burke. And, you know, we really need to have some real conversations about uh, mental health. I'm so glad you honored somebody who talks about trauma and is, is helping people heal, heal. That's a very, very important four-letter word right now. A lot of people need healing. And, and because of the lack of true equity and inclusion and planning in my neighborhood, um, I'm suffering betrayal trauma. But I, I do want to thank Mary Waters and your staff, Michelle, who's so graciously taking the time to speak with me. And we are setting up a meeting with Impact Residents. I've finally located uh, a place where we can meet. And um, let's talk about this because. Thank you so much. Mr. Scott, do we have any additional callers? As we have two hands raised and one had fell off on um, reparations now, but the next caller is D2 Victimized Detroit Retiree. Good morning, D2 Victimized Detroit Retiree. You have two minutes. Hello? Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Great, thank you. How are you? I'm well, thank you for asking. Um, I like to speak on a couple issues I think that are important. And I know you guys are going on recess. Uh, I think you do still work uh, during that time. If you do, I'd like someone to please uh, have interest in our risk management fund, because like the last caller um, mentioned, we spend a lot of money you know, on our um, lawsuits. So I'm gonna read to you section 17.9-8, the risk management fund shall be the sole provider of coverage for losses as defined provided that any department may petition the chief financial officer. It says that we have to set up a risk management fund. There's a risk management committee. These funds, um, you know, they come out, uh, they don't, they're not paid. Um, they should be spread across the departments. In other words, if we have all these 
um, DDOT and police officers that require this money. It has to come from their budgets. So they need to figure that out. You guys got to check, check on that, look that up. The other thing is the tax roll. The tax roll should be the last financial document that you see, um, you know, before you go on your summer recess, whatever, before we close the books, uh, you know, for the end of the fiscal year, because how else do we know what our taxes are? So the tax roll has to be presented to you so you can know you being, you know, consul. We have to know what our taxes are going to be. So no one can assess or make any assessments until the tax bill has been duly provided to you guys so that you can, um, you know, go over it. You're the final check on those taxes and the tax bill. That's another thing. Now, as far as no, uh, the pensioners and the retirees not getting any increase in their funding, that's cruel. It's evil and it's cruel. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Oh, I don't care how we supposed to spread our money. It's cruel. The last hand raised is C-Dad, intern. Good morning, C-Dad, intern. You have two minutes. Good morning, may I be heard? Yes. Good morning. Um, my name is Dana Lambden. I work with um, CDAD um, as an intern. I am advocating for um, the police to, um, to release the names of the individuals who killed Porter Burks. Um, I yield my time. Thank you. So that now concludes public comment. We are going to move back to the agenda right on time at 10.15. We have Lewis Moore joining us for an interview. I'm moving him over now. Thank you. Mr. Moore is being considered for a reappointment for the Board of Review District 7. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. Moore. <clears throat> Excuse me. Will you please introduce yourself and tell us about yourself? Tell us about um, your experience on the Board of Review. Okay. I just want to say good morning to this honorable body, Chairperson Johnson, uh, Councilwoman Waters and Callaway. Um, my name is Lewis Moore, and I have uh, been serving on the Board of Review since, I believe, since 2014. Uh, I am currently the uh, board chair. I've served as the vice chair for three years. Um, I have, uh, this was my first year to uh, actually chair at, uh, during the evaluations of the March Board of Review. Uh, and I want to say this was a very successful year for the board because not only did we uh, hear all of the appeals, but we also met all the statutory dates in which um, all of our paperwork should be into the assessor's office so that it can be properly processed. Um, I have also uh, been with the, uh, I'm going to say that, Hope application, our current name, Hope application, which was the HPTAP uh, in the prior years. And before that, it was a poverty exemption um, process. Um, 
I'm looking forward to continue to serve on uh, this um, honorable board uh, to continue to hear uh, some of the citizens' concerns and be able to address some of the property issues that we have uh, addressing us today. Thank you so much. Um, can you talk about opportunities or experiences you've had with outreach in the community? We know that um, we have the March Board of Review uh, period time frame for people to come down. Um, but can you talk about how you have done outreach in the community to make sure people are aware of the Board of Review and the process that they can go through to appeal their assessment? Well, every year and uh, throughout the year, we um, work with our community partners. Um, prior to COVID, we used to actually go to the sites and actually um, receive applications, uh, do a preliminary review, um, working with the citizens and bringing them to, helping them to assist with the, uh, the application. Um, COVID changed those, uh, that process somewhat with the um, being able to actually be one-on-one -on -one with citizens. So we, we begin to depend on the organizations um, and their ability to reach citizens. So now what we do is we actually meet with the organizations uh, via um, uh, virtual and uh, go over the process. We um, meet with some of the citizens as they have community meetings um, to discuss the application. Uh, recently, um, there, there's a, a push uh, along with uh, Mr. Donwell to help citizens to become more aware of the assessment process and how to appeal their assessments. Um, during the March board, you know, we see a lot of, you know, where people have not had an opportunity to just go through the process. So um, we've, I've been working, we're working collaboratively with him and everybody uh, the neighborhood to get a, uh, to help citizens to understand that. Um, for me, um, I just like going to some of the sites uh, like Cody Rouge and different organizations, Joy Southfield, and working with them to make sure that uh, the program and the citizens are aware of uh, what we do here at the Board of Review. Excellent. Any questions from my colleagues? Seeing no questions, um, you know, Mr. Moore, I did want to ask another question. Have you all had any discussion about um, providing, giving residents an opportunity for them to have a better understanding of how to know when their property may be over assessed? Well, no, it's it's difficult to say um, that a property was over assessed because um, you it has to be where the, the citizen needs to come in and then we review the records. Um, because of the way the assessment process uh, works, it is it is based off a designated neighborhood and sometimes it doesn't identify um, a individual property because of the way in which it is cap things are calculated. So you know, we recommend that every citizen take the opportunity to review the records of their home. You know, if they're a new homeowner, they want to appeal or they want to put in an appeal to first that first year so that they can make sure that everything that the assessor's office has on record for them is accurate and that it, it and then going forward and the way in which their assessment would occur, 
it would be it would always make sure that it's fair and uh, for that citizen. But but to say that a, a property has been over assessed would I, it, it, I guess it would just would be wrong to say that because you have to deal with each one on a one on one basis because they don't look at the interior of every home and know everything there is about an individual's home. But I do believe the classes and the workshops that we're working with now to assist citizens to kind of just get them to move towards appealing their property assessment with the assessor's office, getting an opportunity to let the assessor's office kind of go over and let them know what the, what they have on the record for their home. And then once they see what, what the assessor has for their home, that would help them to understand how those numbers are calculated. And then they can begin to, if they don't agree, then that's how they would move to the board. But I think every citizen should go through the process just to make sure that the records that are here with at the assessor's office is correct. So um, in the overassessment, you know, sometimes that can get misled into understanding that is how their taxes are calculated when actually it is the taxable value that is calculated. Their taxes are ta uh, calculated by. And the assessed value, although it may have gone up based off of sales in the neighborhood, doesn't necessarily mean that people have been overtaxed. Overassessed could just occur simply because we don't have, they don't have a clear understanding of what's going on in the home. Excellent. Thank you for that. Member Calloway? Mm -hmm. um, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, Mr. Moore, I have a quick question. Why mm -hmm. would you have to know the um, details of the interior? of a homeowner's home? Why, what does it have to do with the property value? Well, it, it, it may actually affect the resale, the sale value of the home. So sometimes if there is uh, some deficiencies going on, sometimes you can't see a, a, a leak in the basement. Um, you can't see if uh, there's some, some a roof, there's roof damage or different things going on inside of the home because of the way in which the assessment process works. Um, because it's a mass... Uh, appraisal process, it's really looking at the neighborhood as a whole and sometimes identifying the internal areas. We can look at external obsolescence. You can see that. You can see that sometimes there are things that affect the neighborhood itself, but it, you may not be able to see everything that is going on inside the home. And sometimes it could be just things that the homeowner may not be able to make repairs um, in order to keep the, keep the home up to the standard. But if they allow and they actually see those items, then the assessor can actually take in consideration these things. And it would change the assessed value because it changes the amount that the property in which they own could be sold for. It will affect if they actually put it on the market. Yeah. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank wait a minute. Wait, wait, Thank wait. you, wait. Member Waters. <laughs> Thank you. Um, when you said that if they could see the interior of, of a home, uh, it would change the assessed value. Um, it it can, yes. It can, yes. yes. I, I've seen some applications where people have listed literally that their assessed value should not be as much simply because they have a damaged roof, they have uh, leaks and things like that. And I've watched the assessor just deny them and, and, and leave their assessed value exactly where they put it in the first place. So that part confuses me. 
and, and 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 by law they have they have requirements by law in which the way the assessor has to um, assess the home that it but that's why you have the appeal process so that when they come in front of the board and they they bring that evidence then the board has the um, legal right to adjust those areas in order to bring that make sure that assessment is fair and equitable with, for those uh, without and within that community. So it, the assessors are not going to always adjust. They're going to defend theirs, but they also have um, they have a law that they follow. Um, but that's why they, we have that's the whole purpose of what the Board of Review uh, will ha will do. And that's what our role is, is that we will look at that and then make the necessary adjustments um, and because the, the assessor's office may not do that simply because of state law. Wow. I <laughs> I mean, you just just said an earful for me with, with that, mm -hmm. because uh, well, I don't like the I don't like the way the assessor does things then, because I mean, for people, when, when people tell you up front, you know, what the what the issue is with their home and why it shouldn't be assessed so high. I don't understand why the assessor, and then you make people jump through hoops because then now the person has to do that appeal. You know how frustrating that is for a lot of people to, yes, I do. For, you know, first of all, to even do the initial challenge. Then they have to go back and challenge the assessor, you know, via appeal. And of course they can take it all the way to Lansing if necessary. But I'm just saying that um, is there something we can do about that? You know, well, because I bet you a lot of people fit in that in that category where their assessments are just too high based on the types of repairs that they need. Well, but we have to look at the entire neighborhood and area. And sometimes it could be that that particular home could be um, in the in circumstances because they can't afford to make the necessary repairs to oh, maintain sure. the home. So it, it's it's hard, it, it's difficult to say, okay, that the, that one home should be completely adjusted to uh, mm. its condition without the consideration of the rest of the uh, neighborhood that may be maintaining their homes up to and, and would be meeting that current assessed value. So it's, it's, it's not something that you can just go and say, well, you can adjust that and then pull the other property values down to that one home. So that's why it has to be where you, you, you take, if, if it's your home and you're taking, it may seem like it's though it's a lot of steps. It's, it's just really where you're trying to isolate that particular home with, with and will not affect the entire area and community and bringing those values down to meet what that one home may be um, and, and trying to be fair. So yes, it, it seems like it could be for the citizen um, a lot to have to go through, but if you just go and just adjust values based off of one or two homes for an entire neighborhood, it wouldn't be fair to the other citizens that are that that their value and where that number is coming from okay, uh, be penalized. So that's that's why I, the process it works. I, I've seen it. I think I think I, I think I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the assessor looks at the big picture. Okay, they're looking mm -hmm. at an entire neighborhood. 
-hmm. The individual consideration comes in when the person appeals it to the Board of Review. Correct. Because then you can look at that individual home, that individual property. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. So everybody within the sound of my voice, make sure that you always appeal to the Board of Review. Don't just take that assessor's decision. I've got to tell you, I, I um, wow. Okay. I, I, I get it now. And that's going to help me to better right. and, explain and, and and the taxable value is really where the basis in which your your their taxes are calculated. Precisely. So yeah. so once and a lot of times what happens is that citizens will believe that if they bring the assessed value down, it will change their taxable value, mm -hmm. and that's not always going to be well, true. Yeah, that's a taxable value. How do you bring that down? Is that the same well, way? Well, your taxable value your taxable value is it, we can only adjust your assessed value. And if we adjust your assessed value and it, it, it ends up being lower than what your current taxable value, your taxable value will come down okay. uh, as well to meet that current assessment. But if we sometimes we can adjust the assessment, uh, but it may not impact the taxable value. And that's just simply because of the way in which the taxable value could be so low that you couldn't get it down to adjust those taxes without making putting the home more in jeopardy of being classified in a different area of uh, because of trying to bring it down to a lower stamp uh, right. point. That's why the other programs that where citizens may have um, concerns with meeting their tax obligation is where the whole program actually helps and it works um, to help them to uh, adjust that. But typically if a person appeals, we are able to look at it. There's there's things that the assessor's office may not have seen and may we may be able to adjust that assessed value for that current year to help that person, uh, you know, to to to, to change or, or adjust their taxes for them. But we, we just can't guarantee that because the board, I mean, the assessor's office has the right to appeal our decisions as well with the Michigan Tax Tribunal. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, all right, well, Okay, then I, I will help to um, educate the people even a little bit. Yeah, further I think that's our that's our goal. We, we can educate people I'm to understand that. To take it to the tax tribunal too, because this you know, uh, the assessor just has too much latitude to do exactly what they want to do. So thank you so much, uh, Madam Chair. Thank you, and thank you, Mr. Moore, for that enlightening information. Mm -hmm. um, You're Seeing no additional questions for Mr. Moore, is there a motion to request the LPD prepare a memo um, to reappoint Mr. Moore to the Board of Review representing District 7? Motion. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mr. Moore, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Madam Chair. Madam Parliamentarian. Are you also sending this to City Council with a recommendation? Is there a motion to send line item five to formal with a recommendation to approve? Motion. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item five shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Moving on to line item 6.1, unfinished business. 
submitting resolution authorization contract number 6002568 100% city funding second amendment to provide an extension of time only for computer hardware imaging and staging services contractors sehi computer products inc this was brought back from last week is there a motion to approve or discuss approve um, sorry i'm sorry um motion to discuss madam chair discussion member calloway uh, madam chair we had questions about this um it, it was a 5.2 million dollar contract going to a company in rochester hills and you know i'm just still concerned about um smaller companies may not have the capacity to provide these types of products um, slash services and they're never going to be able to provide them at scale if they're not given the opportunity to maybe work with larger companies so i'll continue to say as long as i'm sitting on the city council that i certainly would like to see minority-owned women-owned businesses based in detroit really based in detroit um, um, have an opportunity and i know they're going to say well we looked we shucked the bushes we did everything we could to find minority-owned and women-owned detroit-based companies but I don't know what we can do about it, but it's, it's very, um, to me, discouraging. We get these ARPA dollars based on the residents who live in the city, based on the, um, the census, and the money comes in and the money goes out of the city, and it doesn't stay. And I'm watching multi-millions of dollars leave the city, going to Rochester and Livonia and Warren, and we're enriching their communities at the expense of the enrichment of our own community, Madam Chair. So I'm just hoping that contracts and procurement and their team will continue continue to do um, the work that it takes to encourage and uplift companies that may not have the capabilities of bidding on these types of contracts let's help them um, and, and enable them and support them and help them to qualify to, to bid on these types of contracts it just is to me um, I don't know how I can continue to sit here and vote on these types of contracts to go to a city um, um, that is $5.2 million going to Rochester Hill. Again, the money comes to the city based on our population, and it goes out of the city. It doesn't stay here at all to enrich our city or our residents. So hopefully, you know, the, um, the, the director, um, Director Stahl, and um, my office and your offices, because I know we are definitely, the three of us are very, very um, 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 supportive of small businesses based in the city of Detroit, minority-owned and women-owned, and hopefully going into the new year, we'll have a, a more extensive list um, to choose from. But again, um, these types of contracts I find very difficult um, to support. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Member Waters? Oh, th and thank you uh, for that, Member Calloway. Uh, I echo everything that, that you've said. Um, and the thing that we're going to have to remember is that we've got to focus on Detroit headquartered, mm -hmm. you, you see, mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm, I'm finding that a number of these businesses have gotten smart, too. They'll say, well, I'm based there, set up a little office here right here in the city, and they get all of those, those contracts based on that. But it certainly is headquartered, which means if you care enough to have your business headquartered here, you should be given a top priority because you're paying, your taxes are much more than anybody else's if you are headquartered uh, in this city. So I want to see uh, a focus on, on Detroit headquartered businesses 
And I think we, I, I, I want to make sure that procurement hears that. I want to make sure that the demolition department in particular hears that. And uh, so that we, um, we, can, we can help these businesses out who are staying here, who have been here throughout the struggles. And they care enough to have their businesses headquartered here. And we ought to care enough to, to support them. We just really need to do that. Um, so, Madam Chair. Member Waters. Um, let, let, me, let me ask. Um, I, I, I read some of the information on the report. But is, uh, is due to procurement, are they online? Mr. Washington. Morning, Madam Chair. Malik Washington on behalf of the administration. Good morning, committee as well. We do have Mike Homa as well as Justin Early online. Thank you. Good morning, Mr. Homat. Will you please introduce yourself for the record? Good morning, Mike Homat, part of the Do It leadership team. And Mr. Scott, do you see Mr. Early, OCP? Good morning, will you please introduce yourself? Uh, yes, Justin Early, OCP. Thank you for joining us. Member Waters? Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, so could you all explain uh, to the community why this particular contractor was chosen um, from Rochester Hills and why you weren't able to find somebody locally like right here in the city? Can, can you share that um, with the community, please? Through the chair, chair, absolutely. So this was a this contract was awarded back in 2019 as a result of an RFP. Um, we had it open for a number of weeks. We had six bidders. The two finalists were C High in Rochester Hills and a company named Net Solutions in Detroit. We were very excited about the Net Solutions one. We worked with them. The chief procurement officer at the time, Mr. Boise Jackson, met with them, gave them both an opportunity for a um, best and final offer. The best and final offer came in for the basket of goods in the RFP at $564,000 for CHI and $1.351 million for Net Solutions. So based on the over double the price or $787,000 difference between the two contracts to, for, to protect the taxpayer's best interest, the, the CHI won the award. We, we worked very hard, Mr. Jackson and myself and um, the Do It team reached out and, and worked with Net Solutions um, to make sure that, that we were truly understanding their bid and that they were bidding apples to apples. Um, but we, we frankly couldn't pay over double the amount um, within the budget. Um, we're, as you know, we're continuing to do outreach. Um, we're planning another outreach event for the first quarter. Um, we're changing the format up a bit. We're going to ask that each of the council members that wants to has an opportunity to speak at the outreach instead of just Creo, Do It, Law, and Tax Department and existing vendors. So right now, tentatively, it's looking like we're going to have that at the Focus Hope Building in cooperation with Human IT that Do It help bring to the city. Um, so we're working on that. Um, also recently for the, like this type of contract, you need to be an HP authorized reseller. Um, and the, there aren't any in the city. So I worked with some Hewlett Packard executives in the last few months and have worked with a longtime 
Detroit-based, Detroit-headquartered business right down Jefferson called DCG and was able to get them HP certified so they're going to be able to participate. We're adding time to this contract, not any funding. Um, there's still funding available on this contract for PCs, but the plan is once we, if we get this 12-month extension, to bid this out in the next six months and strongly encourage the mentor relationships between the large companies and the smallers, smaller companies and um, continue to help build out the ecosystem in Detroit with, with companies like DCG will now be qualified to bid and get HP's preferred pricing on this. All right, so um, well, I'm glad you, you talked about uh, bidding it out again. I, I, I do like to hear that, so I'll be looking forward to that in another um, six months or so. Um, yep. I, I, I hope that we can, um, meanwhile, have conversations uh, with that, for example, the other company that who came in too high, uh, maybe we can talk to them about what they need to do uh, mm -hmm. and and or team up with somebody else. I, I don't know what they'll need to do, but at least uh, you said they were they are Detroit headquartered, right? Their, their submission said they were Detroit-based and Detroit headquartered. They did not okay. have the CREO certification, and, and that's part of what we do in the outreach is we, uh -huh. we encourage companies. You, you, need to, you need to go through to, to solve some of the problems that you described with people just setting up an office and saying, yep, we're, we're there. Well, no, you're not. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, so we, we need um, to make sure that that happens for, for many of these companies during your initial conversations. I hope that you... You'll be uh, proactive uh, starting now from this day, uh, getting ready for the next group of people for helping to prepare them to bid on such a contract. Through the chair, we've been proactive. I've been very active for the last four years, holding annual outreach, meeting with vendors, expressly um, encouraging Detroit-based businesses. I'm on a couple of Detroit-based boards as well to help build up um, technical talent in Detroit, including I chair a board for, for Wayne State's School of Business on Technology Advisory, um, really looking to build that out. And we will. We're, we're doubling down our efforts. We're, we're, we're going from one outreach meeting a year to two. Um, we're changing the format to get more participation and more um, engagement from the council offices as well. So I, I agree. We've, we've worked hard, but we've got to double down and work harder. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Any additional questions? Yes. Member Calloway. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. So um, this contract period initially was December 2019 through this December 2022. Why a two-year extension? Which means if, if you were tying this up for an additional two years, why are we asking for a two-year extension? This contract, according to what I'm looking at, should be ending in a couple weeks. But we're asking... You're here asking us to extend it another two years, but no additional money. Why weren't they able to meet their obligations under the original two-year, con um, three-year contract? And now you're asking us to approve an additional two-year extension. I don't, under I don't understand what the request is for. Did they not meet their obligations under the original two-year contract? Because to come back and ask for an additional two years, we won't be able to bid this out because they have it on lock for another two years. So actually, 
it's going to be a uh, six-year contract, five-year contract from 2019 to 2022, and then you're asking for an additional two-year extension. You're at adding two years to a three-year contract, but you're not asking for any more money yet. So I'm not understanding why the two-year extension, have they not met their obligation on the original three-year contract? That is um, $5.2 million. Through the chair. Um, we're asking for a 12-month extension, just to clarify. I'm not sure Okay, so right here, is, sir, is it says, months. okay, so what I'm looking at, upon city council approval, um, so 2024, so you're asking for a two-year extension because the contract is, is supposed to end, according to what I'm reading, December the 10th, 2022. But what you're asking for is an additional two-year extension. I don't know if I'm reading that correctly or not. And why a two-year extension, which locks us into this company for another two years? Through the chair, um, that, that's supposed to be 23. Uh, we were asking for a 12-month um, okay. extension. I, I don't know how it was submitted as 24. We were, we're asking for a 12-month extension. Um, that, that's great. To, to address your other question of... Um, did they not meet their obligations? They fully have met their obligations. It's based on what we order, that they're sub supplying what we've ordered. We ended up ordering some other things from different contracts during COVID due to supply chain issues and things like that. So we didn't we didn't do the refresh and, and some of the, the procurement that we planned when the original contract was bid out is the reason there's still funding left in this contract. We are not planning on, on adding any more dollars to this contract, whether it's a, a, a one year or a seven year extension, we're bidding this out in six months. There's no obligation for us to spend any pennies, a penny on this contract um, beyond when we ask for an order or, or a department requests some equipment that, that we need to buy through that. So even if it were a longer extension, we're still gonna bid this out in six months. We're still gonna bring on board a new business Oh. So that, that's and after the offline vetting process through the chair director stall yes thank you um through the chair technology contracts take a very long time um to uh establish uh negotiations are very long take months um and any new vendor may need to go through new clearances that also take a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is very important to give enough runway for a rebid and to establish a new contract. And we will work with um, Do It to do a rebid. Um, and as uh, Mr. Homat has uh, said, we have been taught, we have been working on increasing the frequency of our do it outreaches and um but i just really want to impress upon council members how long it takes to get it contracts in place and we do not want to be left without a contract to cover technology needs for the very many departments and you know including your own offices um we we want to make sure that we are able to uh you know purchase the hardware that our staff need throughout the city Thank you. Yeah. Member Calloway. Madam Chair, Director Stahl, um, my question is, is this a two-year extension request 
or a one-year extension request with no additional increase in um, funding? That's my question. Through the chair, I was incorrect. My staff has corrected me that it was submitted properly as a two-year. I, I was incorrect. It's not a 12-month. So that, that is an error on my part. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Um, Mr. Homa, okay, so you've indicated that the amendment is accurate, but we are still planning to rebid this in six months. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, thank you. And um, it sounds like that'll give you all the time needed in order to bid it out and to yes. get it to council in a timely manner so that we can uh, review the contract and move forward. All right, yes. th thank you all so much. Any additional questions? Seeing none, is there a motion on line item 6.1? Motion to approve, Madam Chair. There's a motion to approve line item 6.1. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 6.1 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Thank you. Moving on to line item 6.2, submitting resolution authorization for a settlement in lawsuit of Robert Pattinson versus City of Detroit, Detroit Fire Department, Eric Jones, Charles Sims, and Alfie Green, case number 18-000250-CD in the amount of $300,000. Uh, this line item was brought back from last week is there a motion to approve or discuss discussion member calloway thank you madam chair i'm hoping that um the fire department and all um, departments across the um, this um, city will take the um, necessary training when we're doing investigations um, and probably perhaps this could have been avoided um, there are just do's and don'ts when you're doing investigations, um, whether or not there's been um, um, employee uh, misconduct. And um, with that proper training, perhaps we would not be paying out $300,000. So I'm asking and hoping that the administration will look at this particular case and know that this council person is asking that every department receive the training necessary to avoid these types of mishaps and um, not following procedures and costing the city um, over a half a million dollars. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Member Calloway. I did have a question very similar to yours um, and did uh, come to the same conclusion as you did based on your comment um, and will echo what you just uh, said. We have a Civil Rights and Inclusion Office for a reason uh, and certainly want to make sure that we are following protocol um, to avoid these types of situations. So is there any additional discussion? Is there a motion on line item 6.2? Motion. There's a motion to approve line item 6.2. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 6.2 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Without objection, I'd like to combine line item 6.3 and 6.4. Mm -hmm. These are two requests for legal representation and indemnification. The first line item 6.3 of off police officer Eugene Fielder 
And line item 6.4 is a request for legal representation and indemnification of police officer Jawan Jetter, both in lawsuit of Crystal Curtis versus City of Detroit. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Motion to approve. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 6.3 and 6.4 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Moving on to new business, line item 7.1. Submitting resolution authorization for contract number 6004423, 100% city funding to provide city-wide cellular phone equipment, tablets, and service via my deal agreement number 071B5500078. In the amount of $1,217,820, is there a motion to approve or discuss? Discussion. Member Waters. All right, so is there... Um Anyone online that could just answer a quick question? Mr. Homot is still present. Thank you, Mr. Homot. Oh. <laughs> All right. So, um, well, well, you know, I know Verizon is not here now, so I'm not going to ask you that. <laughs> but, but I do want to ask you about um, my deal. You know, because I know that that's a state of Michigan um, uh, initiative. My deal. But what I, what I really want to know is that are we taking any initiatives since the state of Michigan uses the city of Detroit's numbers, right, to get all of these discounts, have we asked them to provide discounts for vendors here in this city since they get to use ours? Have we, have we asked that question? If we haven't, I think we should get around to it. Through the chair, I can answer that. My deal is allowing us, we're using, this was actually a bid, so we we did an RFP for this, um, but to get the best pricing, mm -hmm. the state of Michigan, the city of Detroit has roughly 10,000 employees. The state of Michigan has about 65,000 employees. So the most favored nation pricing that Verizon offers in the region mm -hmm. is to the state of Michigan through my deal. So to get the lowest pricing, we're leveraging the state of Michigan, my deal contract, similar to Microsoft contract. So we're using this to leverage and get discounts from the state. We're not providing them our volume to get them any further discounts. So we're using this to get a lower discount, but it was bid out. Oh, okay. Then, then, then maybe I'm thinking of other contracts because I know that the state of Michigan use our volume when it comes to other contracts, and they are able to uh, uh, give discounts based on on the volume that we have, uh, but you're, what happened here is that you're using their volume to get a deal here, but I, but I think in in other situations with with various contracts um, in this city that they are using our volume so. And maybe you're not the person to answer that question. <laughs> yeah, I, I, with the technology contracts, yes. <laughs> um, the state gets better pricing than us mm -hmm. in, in every case yeah. than when we go alone because of the, the number of 
um, users is the, the way the software vendors or the number of employees. So we're leveraging them wherever we can to okay. save the taxpayers money. Uh, well, all right, good deal. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Any additional questions? Is there a motion? Motion to approve. There's a motion to approve line item 7.1. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.1 will be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Line item 7.2, submitting resolution authorization for contract number 6004745, 100% ARPA funding to provide server equipment, storage area, network equipment, and services. Contract amount $5,324,218. Is there a motion to discuss? Discussion. Thank you, Mr. Homot, for staying on the line. Um, Member Waters. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I just want to uh, ask, uh, Madam Chair, um, is anybody, could we find some storage space here anywhere? <laughs> I just, I just wonder. Is Mr. Early still with us? Through, through the chair, this isn't storage space. This is actually like hard drives and computer storage. So so it's manufactured by Hewlett Packard um, is the city's standard. So this wasn't this was an RFP. Um, we had five bidders. The the um, and we did have a company that that wasn't Creo certified, but um, they have a Detroit address, even though their website lists Dearborn as their office space. So we we really want, we're excited about getting a Detroit address. And then we looked at the pricing and the winning bid was 5.3 million or the low bid. Um, and the um, Detroit address company that's website says Dearborn bid $40.6 million. So we got 5 million versus 40 million. So we didn't even pursue um, working on them. We confirmed that it was the same basket of goods. Um, so th they were bidding apples to apples as far as part numbers. They just wanted a lot more margin. Madam Chair. Number one. All right, so, but, but it does say storage area network equipment. So I'm just, I'm just saying, do, it was only one one person here in the city that bid it on it, right? Yes. And Mr. Early had reached out. We we publicized this. I think we had thirty companies look at it. I'll, I'll let Mr. Earlier, Director Stahl, speak. Uh, yes, through the chair. Um, I'll be picking up for someone else's project on this one here. But uh, yeah, companies, um, thirty companies did bid on this. Um, Bit and I thought they reviewed. We only had five bids on this. This five isn't Justin's bids. project. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just jumping in for whoever's in my here. <laughs> Madam Chair. But uh, yes, Mike Hope, I would definitely have uh, most of that bid information for you all. Th thank, thank you, Mr. Early. Mr. Washington. I do see Sonia Clifton hand is up. I believe this may be her item from OCP. Okay, we are moving her over. Thank you. Yes, she was she was the OCP um, team member who who was very helpful in this bid. Good morning. Good morning, Sonia Clifton, Office of Contracting and Procurement. 
did you were you able to hear the question? Uh, I request that you please repeat the question through the chair. Member Waters. All right, so thank you. Yeah, so this this is this is regarding network storage space. Am I correct? This is correct. All right. So, gosh, I I, I guess I just don't get why we couldn't find somebody to that could provide that at least here locally. So through the chair, this bid was out for several weeks. There were uh, quite a few line items that were requested in the bid. We, be, we received five responses uh, and the five that received were unfortunately, um, with, with exception of the one outside of the city of Detroit. So these are all, these were all deemed responsive. They all responded to the items that we requested and um, security solutions was the lowest responsive bidder. Um, Madam Chair, what can we do to help bring uh, those Detroit headquarters business up to par in order to bid on such network storage in the future? I mean, what do we need to do? Well, we are uh, through the chair. We are actively doing uh, multiple outreaches. We are in the communities. We are going to the different districts. We are speaking to uh, different vendors. We have uh, we are everywhere. We have a great street team. Uh, we have a great social media team. We are constantly looking for opportunities to work with Detroit-based businesses, Detroit headquartered businesses. Uh, in terms of what we can do to get them uh, scaled up, um, I think that's a bigger conversation. But um, for this particular equipment, it did require that they meet certain qualifications and certain um, licenses that they needed to have. And uh, unfortunately, in this climate, there are just not a lot of players that can um, satisfy the scale that we need for the city of Detroit. But rest assured, we are doing everything we can to reach out and to assist the citizens. So since we do have this funding available and we are always looking for opportunities to work with city of Detroit uh, business owners. Just one final thing, Madam Chair. Member Waters. I, I just want to um, encourage ProcureMet to... And, and I know procurement has been working with us to do various workshops and that kind of thing. But somehow or another, I, I wish you would notify, uh, because I don't have access to all of that. I don't know when you send out bids, but, but if we just knew the types of bids that you were sitting, sending out, maybe you can send us out a spreadsheet or something saying this is, this is the type of bid that's going to be going out. If you know anybody, encourage them to uh, submit a bid. That might help us. Uh, help you as well because I mean we really want to see that happen but but you need to let us know so that we can assist as well through the chair I will follow up with our team on that suggestion I think it's a wonderful suggestion uh, we would all we're always looking to cast a wide net uh, but in the meantime while we get that process in place I do encourage everyone to uh, visit the office of contracting procurements uh, pages on Facebook and Twitter we are on social and we always publish particularly we we publish all the bids there and those bid that bid information is shareable you can click on it and share it to your page. Um, you can share it via text, any media ways that, um, that you use that is available. But I will also take your suggestion back and see what we can do in terms of outreach and push that message out as, you know, as far and wide as we possibly can. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Member Waters. Uh, and just to clarify, this is to store audio, video, um, perhaps all of our emails and, and things of that nature, correct? 
of the chair. This is digital storage. Yes, this is um, our the files, your Excel spreadsheets, um, a number of the applications that run on premise. Mm -hmm. um, most of the, the email is pretty much in the cloud right now, but there is still substantial stuff that needs to stay on premise. So, so it, it is for storage on that. Thank you. And um, I'm not totally clear on the size of this storage and, and how much storage the city of Detroit needs. So can you share like how often you anticipate having to incur this type of um, transaction? Through the chair, um, our storage needs continue to grow, even though we're pushing more and more things to the cloud as the city develops and, and, and generates more digital content um, and, and there's more documents. We, these devices have a five-year useful life. After five years, generally, the manufacturers stop producing security patches and stop supporting them and they get harder to, to um, get parts for. So we're, we're purchasing this with five years of support and maintenance. We expect to need to purchase. We've sized it that we expect with migrating different things to the cloud that we're not going to need to build it out any further um, over the five years. So, so we're working through that. But we would not, we'd expect in five years when the useful life of this, um, a lot of companies do three-year useful life. We take it right to the five-year um, the three-year useful life is more conservative, but a much more costly. But we, we were more cost-sensitive than that. Thank you. Any additional questions, Member Calloway? Um, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, for um, I'll start with do it, and I don't know if I need to go through the chair to go to LPD, but I like a breakdown of all the um, ARPA funding um, for contracts that has gone um, through do it to outside of the city of Detroit. So what I'd like to see is, I wanna see a chart starting with the amount of ARPA dollars um, do it has been awarded. And of that amount, how many, how many of those dollars has gone outside of the city of Detroit? Because do it is um, awarding multi-million dollar contracts to companies outside of Detroit, for instance, this $5. million contract is going to, I think it's St. Clair Shores, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. That is correct. And then we had one in New Jersey, Basking Ridge, New Jersey, and then we had one, um, I can't remember. So what I'm asking is a report from Do It, and then I'm going to ask ind um, other individual departments, but I'm going to start with Do It. I want to know the num the maximum, I'm sorry, the total number of ARPA dollars your department, and I don't know if this needs to go to Art Thompson or not, but through the chair, and I don't know if LPD um, needs to get involved, but I want to see exactly how many ARPA dollars do it has been awarded, and of those dollars, how many contracts or contract dollars have been awarded to Detroit-based businesses and non-Detroit-based businesses. And do I, headquartered in Detroit. Thank you, Member Waters. And do I need to give a date, a due date? Or how possible, how soon can I get that report through the chair? Through the chair, I, I can take that request. We don't need to engage our, he'll be involved in it as well. So he and I will work on that together. Um, I would expect we'd be able to have that for you um, just before Thanksgiving, so by next Wednesday, okay. one week. 
And thank you. And through the chair, one more question. What do we have to do to encourage these technical companies to move to the city of Detroit? Because we got office space. Because we are building their structures. We're enriching their cities. And I like for some of those dollars to mm -hmm. stay in the city of Detroit. So what do we have to do or what can we do to encourage these technical companies to move to the city of Detroit? Because probably, I don't know, they're surviving based on Detroit contracts. So um, I'd like to hear your answer to that question through the chair. Through the chair. I don't... Chair, I don't have a simple answer to that. Um, these these companies, um, so the the one you mentioned in Virginia, we're we're not a large percent a, a large percent for them. Um, we're we're working. I, I think this goes with business development and overall. I mean, that's part of why I'm in, involved in Wayne State. Some of it is getting the um, workforce. Um, some of it is, as you said, office space, which there's lots of. I, I'm I'm not a um, business development or or business. I'm a, I'm a technology person. Um, we're we're trying. I mean, that's the that's the question. We'd love to whatever part we could have in addressing that. But we'd we'd love to participate and do everything possible. I agree. The the stronger group we've got here, the better it help it is for everybody. But like Microsoft, we're not going to get them to, to 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 relocate. They've opened a substantial office in downtown Detroit. They've got a very nice office, um, but some of these technology companies uh, are in traditional tech hubs. There is a group that I'm I, I've been in discussions with called um, Silicon Lakes, which is a group of CIOs in the Metro Detroit and Southeast Michigan area. Um, trying to turn Detroit into more of a technology hub and um, sort of like Silicon Valley, they're calling it Silicon Lakes. Um, but that group's been, been in, involved for about five years and hasn't made a lot of headway. Um, so I, I've been in, in discussions with them about how I could help and, and contribute to that group as well. Madam Chair, I want to go back to something you said earlier. Detroit's contracts don't represent a large um, portion of their contracts. We may not represent a large portion of their contracts, sir, but obviously we represent a important portion of their contracts or they wouldn't be bidding on them. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Any additional questions? Seeing none, is there a motion on line item 7.2? Motion to approve. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.2 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Moving on to line item 7.3, submitting resolution authorization for contract number 600-4816. 100% city funding to provide federal lobbyist services, contractor Squire Patton Boggs, U.S. LLP. Total amount $180,000. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Any objection? Hearing none, 
That action shall be taken. Line item 7.3 shall be sent to formal with the recommendation to approve. Line item 7.4, submitting resolution authorization for a revised city council recess letter for Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022 through Monday, January 2nd, 2023. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Motion to approve. There is a motion to approve line item 7.4. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.4 shall be sent to formal with the recommendation to approve. Without objection, I'd like to combine line item 7.5 through 7.2. Seven. These are various lawsuit settlements regarding Detroit Department of Transportation incidents. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Motion to approve, Madam Chair. There's a motion to approve line item 7.5 through 7.7. .7. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.5 through 7.7. .7 shall be sent to formal with the recommendation to approve. Line item 7.8, submitting resolution authorization for a settlement in lawsuit of Linda Shamily versus City of Detroit et al. Case number 21-001860-NI, an incident re involving the Detroit Police Department in the amount of $37,500. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Motion to approve. There's a motion to approve line item 7.8. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.8 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Line item 7.9. Submitting resolution authorization for a settlement in lawsuit of Darius Grimes versus City of Detroit and Benjamin James Smith, case number 21-004912-NI, a case involving the Detroit Police Department in the amount of $58,000. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Discuss, Madam Chair. Discussion, Member Callaway. Yes, Madam Chair. I just have a quick question um, through the chair. Hopefully, the administration or um, the law department can answer this question. Um, it looks like um, um, this plaintiff um, had outside counsel. Do we know how much the city of Detroit paid for outside counsel? Ms. Trailer, Attorney Trailer. Mm -hmm. Good morning, Madam Chair, through you to Member Calloway. I don't, but I can get that question answered for you. Um, can you restate it for me? How much, did you ask how much was paid to outside counsel yes, on this case specifically? Yes, okay, um, I will try my best to get an answer for you. Madam Chair, can um, I move that we bring this back um, at the end of the agenda, and that'll give um, Ms. Trailer an opportunity to get the answer to my question? There's a motion to bring 
to move line item 7.9 to the end of the agenda. Any objection? Hearing none, so we will bring line item 7.9 back at the end of the agenda. Moving on to line item 7.10. Submitting resolution authorization and settlement for a settlement in lawsuit of McDaniel Terry at all versus city of Detroit at all case number 21-008534-NF an incident re re involving the Detroit Department of Transportation total amount $149,609.50 is there a motion to approve or discuss there's a motion to approve line item 7.10. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.10 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Line item 7.11, a lawsuit settlement request of Mustafa Al-Bahia at all versus city of Detroit case number 21-003488-NI in the amount of $25,000 in a situation regarding the Detroit Police Department. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Motion to approve, Madam Chair. There is a motion to approve line item 7.11. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.11 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Line item 7.12, submitting resolution authorization for legal, re legal representation and indemnification of police officer Donald Ross in lawsuit of Linda Perkins Moore versus City of Detroit, case number 21. Dash one zero nine two nine. Is there a motion to approve? Motion to approve. There's a motion to approve line item seven point twelve. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item seven point twelve shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Line item 7.13, submitting resolution authorization for legal representation and indemnification of police officer Tyler DeBacher in lawsuit of Linda Shamily versus City of Detroit at all case number 21-001860-NI. Is there a motion to bring line item 7.13 back at a date to be determined to uh, request a closed session? Motion. Mm -hmm. There's a motion to bring line item 7.13 back at a date to be determined hearing no objection that action shall be taken line item 7.13 shall be brought back at a later date moving on to line item 7.14 submitting resolution resolution authorization for legal representation and indemnification of TEO Crystal Henderson 
in lawsuit of James Liddell versus City of Detroit, case number 20-016-017-NF. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Motion to approve. There's a motion to approve line item 7.14. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.14 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Line item 7.15, a request for a settlement in lawsuit of Affiliated Diagnostic of Oakland, LLC, Andre Gamble versus City of Detroit, case number 22-182504-GC, a Department of Transportation case in the amount of $6,202, is there a motion to approve or discuss? There's a motion to approve line item 7.15. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.15 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Line item 7.16, a request for a settlement in lawsuit of Antonio Anaya versus Daisy Padilla, City of Detroit, Insurance Property and Casualty Insurance Company and Nationwide Mutual Fire Insurance Company, case number 21-002-838-NI, an incident regarding the Detroit Police Department in the amount of $95,000. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? There's a motion to approve line item 7.16. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.16 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Without objection, I'd like to combine line item 7.17 through 7.20. These are various lawsuit settlement requests for incidents regarding the Detroit Department of Transportation. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Motion to approve. There's a motion to approve line item 7.17 through 7.20. Hearing no objection. That action shall be taken. Line item 7.17 through 7.20 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Without objection, I'd like to combine line item 7.21 through 7.25. These are also various lawsuit settlement requests regarding Detroit Department of Transportation incidents. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? There's a motion to approve line item 7.21 through 7.25. Hearing no objection, 
that action shall be taken. Line item 7.21 through 7.25 shall be sent to formal with the recommendation to approve. Line item 7.26, submitting resolution authorization for a request to amend the 2022 through 2023 official compensation schedule for the classification of head social worker, principal social worker, and senior social worker. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Motion to approve. There's a motion to approve line item 7.26. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.26 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Line item 7.27, submitting resolution authorization for a resolution adopting an annual calendar for the Detroit City Council. Is there a motion to discuss? Thank you. Good morning, Director Todd. Good morning, Madam Chair. Good morning, Madam Chair. Can you hear me? Yes. Good morning. All right. Thank you. Morning to you and members of the committee. Uh, I am also joined by Ms. Barcliffe. I'm not sure if she will be speaking to the issue as well, uh, but we do understand that there uh, have been some concerns, uh, particularly as it regards the schedule for the um, evening community meetings, which of course is embedded within this calendar. Uh, I believe Mr. Jeffrey may also be in the uh, attendee room, of course, as he is the chief staff person uh, for setting those meetings up. But I do have a brief PowerPoint, if in fact it is the desire of this committee uh, for uh, me to walk you through the selection process for how the meetings are scheduled, how they rotate from year to year. Uh, please do. I do understand that there were some questions, so. All right. If I could be allowed to share my screen. You should have capabilities now. Thank you. Are you able to see the image? Yes. Okay. Usually I don't get it right the first time. <laughs> All right, first slide just provides you with the uh, charter provision as it concerns the uh, requirement for the evening community meetings. This first came into effect with the 1974 charter and requires that city council hold eight meetings uh, throughout the year 
uh, in the community with the um, understanding that this is the opportunity to engage community directly uh, for community-oriented issues, of course, as you well know from the practice as you are already engaged. Uh, the same was uh, same charge was added to the mayor with the um, 2012 charter. The um, and this is essentially other than your um, than uh, I believe section 8.7 of your rules. Uh, this is the only thing that really speaks to the provisions for the the meeting provides. Uh, a time period uh, and otherwise allows the city council to affix a date and a cadence for holding those meetings. Since 74, uh, the item, this matter was traditionally the responsibility of the city council president. And uh, from there evolved as staff has grown in responsibilities and opportunities. And uh, the, the former research and analysis division was initially given responsibility for helping to coordinate with these meetings. And then later on, the charge fell to the city planning commission. And of course, now as we work together within the legislative policy division, we handle it jointly. And over the years, the primary responsibility has been to provide a schedule and to um, locate the uh, venues. That has waffled back and forth a little bit on occasion in terms of the involvement of different council members. Um, uh, or the uh, or, or simply the lead of the council president's office. And uh, there are some memos that uh, we will also be circulating that will provide you with some additional uh, background on how, how things have evolved. One thing I failed to mention is that it was somewhere in the early 80s, I believe, that the day of Tuesday, the third Tuesday um, of the month was selected and it has consistently been uh, the third Tuesday of the month with um, ex uh, exception for those occasions when the when when some change was warranted, uh, there have been uh, times when the council has gone beyond the eight mandated meetings and has held uh, special meetings out in the community, uh, utilizing essentially the same format, uh, if not necessarily uh, the same day or time. This, of course, is the schedule. Uh, that we have presented or the calendar that we have uh, presented to you uh, for next year. And uh, I'll pause here if Ms. Barcliffe does have anything else that she might want to point out above and beyond the focus on the evening community meetings. No, I don't have any additional comments at this time. Thank you. All right, then in terms of the specific question about the process, uh, recognizing that we would be transitioning into districts, the uh, then Council President Pugh uh, in 2012 asked that we alter the uh, process that was used prior to in order to fit the district model. Uh, we used to follow a uh, collection of uh, zip codes to establish, I believe, uh, well, zip codes in correspondence also with the master plan, uh, six different areas across the city 
that the city would meet in um, with the uh, adoption of city council by districts. We were now having the opportunity to have um, one meeting in each district plus one at large meeting for the two at large city council members. So what is before you is the currently proposed schedule for meetings. And uh, what we were asked to do in 2012, and then again in 2014, minor modification requested by then Council President Jones was again, come up with a system uh, that would take out some of the back and forth debate uh, and uh, uh, contention that sometimes came about when venues and uh, dates or months for the meeting were being selected and to come up with a regular process uh, whereby once started, these meetings could simply rotate. This, of course, does not mean the city council is locked into this because certainly you can amend these dates as emergent circumstances may warrant uh, you could also, as has been done, uh, um, swap uh, meeting months among council members. Uh, and of course, both would require the approval of the council and an amendment to this annual calendar. And of course, the same is true for other dates, uh, other items on this annual calendar. Uh, it is often amended over the course of the year in response to desired changes. So. Uh, again, there is flexibility, but what uh, what the rotation essentially is is this: uh, we begin typically with the month of February, uh, January. Uh, I'm sorry, we typically do include January. This uh, cadence that we have before you is beginning with the month of February. January has been excluded, or the meetings ended up being canceled in years past because of inclement weather. The month of April traditionally is also held out of the rotation unless absolutely needed in order to allow there to be a break while council is focusing on the budget. Of course, it used to be prior to the bankruptcy that April was the primary month for budget deliberations, whereas now that is the month in which you conclude your deliberations and vote. The month of July has also been used on occasion. Um, but typically was held out of the rotation in order to be there as a backup for uh, meetings should they be canceled earlier in the year. Oftentimes, uh, the month of July became a bit problematic because of your approaching recess and uh, the various demands on the council at that time. Of course, often the hottest month of the year and sometimes not the uh, best place to hold a meeting. I can remember some of our city rec centers when they didn't have air conditioning and we were sitting in some rather hot houses for late meetings. But uh, at any rate, July has traditionally stood as the month uh, for, for makeup meetings or special meetings when, when needed. And then of course, August and December are off the table as you are traditionally on recess. So we were charged with trying to set up a rotation that would allow meetings to move from the beginning of the year to the end of the year in some regular cadence, uh, as well as moving from warmer to colder months over the course of a four-year term, which should allow uh, at least uh, 
two meetings in colder months, two meetings in warmer months, two meetings toward the beginning of a year, two meetings toward the end of a year. So this required that we would put two shifts or movements as opposed to it just being a straight linear movement moving from the first meeting of the year in order all the way through to the end. So what this diagram shows and uh, I never like really explaining, but hopefully it will make sense, is that the meetings from June to February um, shift in an upward movement. So, uh, and, and, and then the meetings from September to November move downward as indicated by the arrows on the chart. The next slide will show the movement itself. And then there is also, as you move to the end of either of those points, uh, that district or the, 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 the uh, host meeting shifts then to the middle of the year and falls then into the cadence. So what you're looking at now, again, shows districts six, five, two, three, and seven meeting at the beginning of the year, uh, February through June, and then districts four, the at-large, and district one meeting at the end of the year. The very next year, the subsequent year, year B, you can see the shift that takes place. The meetings for districts uh, three, two, and five move up in the year. And that meeting for district six, which was previously a February meeting, now shifts to September and then begins to flow from there through the latter half of the year. The district one meeting, which was previously uh, the November meeting, shifts to the June spot and then begins its upward flow uh, following the District 7, District 3, District 2, and District 5. So again, the next slide will show you subsequent year C. And again, you can see how the District 6 and District 1 meetings as highlighted in red continue to move through that process. Um, the District five meeting that was the February meeting in the previous year is now the September meeting. And again, the district, the at-large meeting, which was the November meeting, has now moved to the June position. So I hope that the diagram and the explanation makes sense, that that was not too confusing. Uh, but this is, again, what we were asked to do in order to uh, set up an objective system that would achieve some uh, spreading of the meetings in terms of weather as well as time of year over the course of, excuse me, of a given term. And this is the process that we've been using since 2000, well, 2013. And that completes the presentation. If there are any questions, happy to take them, Madam Chair, members of the committee. Well, thank you so much for the overview and all of the work that you do just to schedule our evening community meetings. Um, Member Waters. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, so the charter mandated meetings will rotate each year, maybe 23 that's the lineup. Twenty-four can be another lineup. Is that is that what I'm hearing? 
through the chair. Uh, yes, if I understood your question uh, correctly, we're, uh, we have proposed uh, uh, a schedule of evening community meetings as part of the calendar for next year. Yeah. And certainly you can make any adjustments to that over the course of the year. If there was something that you see fit to change now, that could be done. And uh, once a change is made, even as was the case with this current year, uh, when member young swapped with the council president mm. and moved the meeting from March to October, uh, you know, again, that same sort of thing could be done, but once it's done, we continue with the flow as established as a result of the change. We don't go back to the originally adopted schedule. We continue with that flow in order to, again, try to ensure that the next year or in the subsequent years, we still have that disbursement of, of meetings geographically. I'm sorry, not well, not obviously geographically, but uh, over the course of the year in terms of season, as well as uh, general time of year. Um, thank you, Mr. Todd. I I certainly wouldn't suggest any changes because this decision is supposed to be made by both at large members. So, <laughs> so I'll, I'll hold off. Thank you so much. Certainly the prerogative of the individual council member and the ultimate decision of the council. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> any additional questions? Thank you so much, Director Todd, for going through that. Mm -hmm. I anticipated there or any of our colleagues that are interested in shifting dates will have some discussions and any amendments will come before us um, and to you. Thank you. We look forward to it. Thank you, Madam Chair. We'll circulate this diagram and those other documents later today. All right, thank you. Is there a motion to approve line item 7.27? Motion. There's a motion to approve line item 7.27. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.27 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Line item 7.28, Councilmember Gabriela Santiago Romero submitting memorandum relative to request to draft ordinance making Indigenous People Day a paid city holiday. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Motion to discuss. Discussion, Member Calloway. Thank you, Madam Chair. Um, I would like to certainly know the fiscal impact of such a um, paid city holiday. And um, so through the chair, I don't know if I um, make that um, request through the chair to LPD or to the law department or to the uh, uh, finance department, but I would certainly like to know um, what does this look like or what would it look like um, for an Indigenous People Day um, city paid holiday. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Um, is there anyone that can tell us whether or not what was dubbed Columbus Day, is that a city paid holiday? Attorney Trailer, do you know? Through you, Madam. Sorry, through you, Madam Chair. Um, can I Google real quick? I don't know it offhand, but I can just look it up. It's it is a federal holiday. I just don't know if it is a paid city holiday. 
Madam Chair. My, my team is telling me that it is not. Okay, I, I, I don't think it is um, because wouldn't we have received it off this year, I think? Um, so I don't think so, but do you know, Malik? Madam Chair, um, your team is correct. It is not a city holiday. Thank you. That's right. Is that, Member Callaway, is your request to LPD? Or the law department, Madam Chair, thank you. I, I'm yeah. just wanting to know, Madam Chair, what, do, what would the fiscal impact be for such a um, paid city holiday? Through you, Madam Chair, to Member Callaway, similar to what we just did with the Juneteenth ordinance, um, you will want to have the fiscal impact statement, I mean the fiscal impact analysis done first, and then you will work with the law department to, to draft an ordinance. Thank you. Is there any additional discussion? Um, no, Madam Chair, not from me. Is there a motion on line item 7.28? Oh, so you have to pass this first before you can get the fiscal impact? Is that what she just said? The, this, Director Todd. <laughs> Thank you, Madam Chair. I guess I would just suggest uh, that uh, you would be uh, looking to refer the matter to the law department, to LPD, and then also to the finance and budget departments and uh, request that fiscal analysis be done, fiscal impact analysis be done. Madam there, Chair, yes. uh, Madam Chair um, Member I move to um, have this sent to the appropriate departments to um, um, produce a report on the fiscal impact for such a um, paid city holiday. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Member Calloway. So that also includes referring it to the Law Department and LPD. Yes, Madam Chair. Thank you. There is a motion on line item 7.28 to refer it to various departments. Is, are there any objections? Hearing none, that action okay. shall be taken. And did you want to bring it back for the date to be determined? Thank you. Uh, is there a motion to bring line item 7.28 back at a date to be determined to allow that process to take place? So moved, Madam Chair. There's a motion to bring line item 7.28 back at a later date. Hearing no objection that action shall be taken. Line item 7.28 shall be brought back. Madam Chair. Member Calloway. Member, Member Calloway, would you like to turn your I'm microphone? I'm sorry, thank you, Madam Chair. Um, Madam Chair, I just received information that Columbus Day was uh, previously a city paid holiday, but from what I understand, city unions traded away Columbus Day for the Friday after Thanksgiving. So that Friday after Thanksgiving is a paid holiday, Madam Chair. So it was previously a city paid holiday. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. There was a line item that we were bringing back. Seven point. Mm -mm. Attorney Trailer. Seven point. 
Through you, Madam Chair, um, it's line item 7.9. Thank you. 7.9, which is the settlement in lawsuit of Darius Grimes versus City of Detroit. Uh, is there a motion to discuss? Motion. Thank you. Attorney Trailer. Through you, Madam Chair, to Member Calloway. So the law department is requesting this be brought back in one week. <clears throat> Excuse me. The reason being um, the initials in the parentheses, we're assuming they belong to an attorney, but we haven't been able to get in touch with him to see if this is actually his matter. And so I don't want to give you the wrong information. Attorney Trailer, you do realize that that means it's coming back the beginning of the year. This is our last session. Um, it is. Um, okay. Uh, never mind. Don't bring back still working on it. So I'm not, this is a text message I just read. So I'm not exactly sure what to ask for. I just know I don't have the answer immediately. M Madam Chair, just Member a, a real quick question. Has this matter been settled? Through you, Madam Chair, uh, to Member Calloway, just give me one second, please. So, Attorney Trailer, while you are searching, so it is a settlement request, so the the thought would be that it has been settled by the law department and, and council just needs to approve of the settlement. Through you, Madam Chair. So, officially it has not been settled because it hasn't been approved. But, um, again, I don't want to assume anything, but I'm thinking if it's at this stage, then your approval would make it settled. Member Calloway. Um, Madam Chair, I don't want to hold this up. I just simply want to know how much has been paid in outside um, legal fees. That was my only question. Oh, I saw. Attorney Barcliffe, did you have something that you wanted to add? I was just going to provide some clarifications on how the settlements work in general. I'm not sure what happens in particular, in particular with this settlement. But generally speaking, what, what the attorneys do is request an amount that they are authorized to to ask for a settlement when they're given it by um, council and it's approved by council then they go back and attempt to settle the matter um in terms of um how much this is paid that's a whole different question but even i could speak generally about that usually what happens is the city approves a series of um blanket authorizations for outside counsel to handle these types of matters where there's a conflict and outside counsel is met, I mean, is needed. So, so they'll assign some of the attorneys who receive outside, I mean, who have been approved for outside counsels to handle certain matters. But the law department can give particular information with regard to um, how much was utilized for this um, particular uh, lawsuit. Thank you. Attorney Trailer. can you confirm that this was handled by the law department, not out, outside counsel? Through right, you, Madam Chair. Um, first, thank you, Attorney Barcliffe, for chiming in. Um, there is no indication that this was handled by outside counsel. 
Um, however, the person who we think handled it, we are not able to get in touch with for him to confirm or deny whether or not it was him. So the law department is requesting that this be moved to formal pending receipt of the information, and then if not, just be brought back after recess. Thank you. Mr. King. Yeah, Madam Chair, that was my suggestion. Thank you. Madam Chair, what was that suggestion, um, suggestion again? Um, receipt of. Yeah, um, because I don't believe that um, this individual police officer was granted legal representation and indemnification um, during the administrative appeal process. So my only question is, it should be um, a simple, simple answer. How much does the city pay in outside legal fees um, for this particular case before we even move it to formal with a um, um, recommendation for approval? So I would ask, Madam Chair, I'd make a motion that um, it be brought back in January until we get a answer to the question. I mean, what's the rush? Madam Chair. Attorney Trailer. Do you, Madam Chair, I will defer to this body. Oh, so, so Madam, Madam Chair, I'll, I'll make a motion. Um, I move to bring this back after the first of the year, um, pending the answer to my question, and a simple how much has the city paid in outside legal fees for this particular case? Thank you, Madam Chair. There's a motion to bring line item 7.9 back until our next formal session, um, our next standing committee session. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.9 shall be brought back during our next internal op operation standing committee meeting. I believe that brings us to the end of the agenda. Um, member reports, member vice chair Waters. Nothing, Madam Chair, thank you. Thank you, member Calloway. No report, Madam Chair, thank you. Thank you, and I just want to share one thing that is taking place on Friday. Our team is having our last coffee hours for the year uh, on Friday at 3 p.m. in collaboration with the Ombudsman's Office. It will take place at the Jefferson East Inc. Resource Hub. Um, council member is BC. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought it was the Ombudsman's Office. Okay, it is in collaboration with the Building Safety, Engineering, and Environmental Department. Um, so that's going to bring everybody out now. Uh, <laughs> it is taking place at the Jefferson East Inc. Resource Hub located at 14300 East Jefferson. All are welcome uh, beginning at 3 p.m. on Friday. We hope to see you all there. That brings us to the end of the agenda. If there's nothing further to come before this committee, we shall stand adjourned.